RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. It's 7 o'clock on a Tuesday. Look, I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like the right time to crunch some deep philosophy in Star Trek. It's Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. That's what we do on Mission Log Live. We talk Star Trek and toys and world fairs and philosophy. And one of the best parts is we talk to you. You help drive the conversation. How do you do that? Well, let me tell you. You can click the link on the uh, Zoom meeting or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can also call us 646-558-8656, 646-558-8656. And you enter the meeting code that you'll uh, find in the show description and in the comments. And then you'll be talking with us and you'll be talking with our guest. This week, we are happy to be joined by David Kyle Johnson, philosopher, professor, lecturer, nerd, Yes, those may sound like synonyms. Anyway, he'll be joining us later with conversation sure to split my skull. Seriously, this has already happened, John. I think I talked to you about oh, it earlier yeah. this week. Yeah, I know. Uh, like Odo being attacked by a thing and then his head coming back together, thankfully. <laughs> um, there have been some things that, uh, that we've been, uh, well, you and I have been listening to some of uh, some of Kyle's stuff, and uh, and I keep coming back to a lot of it. So yeah, yeah. do us a favor, please. Get your questions in now. Join our Zoom meeting. Use the one tap from your smartphone or call 646-558-8656. Perfect time to say hello to some of our friends in the chat right now on Facebook. There's Carlos. There's David. David, the uh, trivia master from our uh, our event in Sansar the other night. We can talk about that in a moment. We got Russ saying hello. Uh, Lisa. T.L. Coco. Hello, Jay. We've got, uh, let's see, Mike, Paul, so many friends joining us tonight. Glad to see you all. So thank you, as always, to everyone who is watching live on Facebook or YouTube. And thank you to the people who are catching the video later as well. Finally, thanks to the people who are listening to the audio-only version of the show. You can search for Mission Log Live wherever you get your podcasts or make it super easy. Go to podcast.roddenberry.com where you will find links to all of our shows. That would be Mission Log, Mission Log Live, The Trek Files, Women at Warp, and Priority One. And one last request. Wherever and whenever you're watching or hearing this show, head to the source, hit like, hit share, Write a review or give us five stars. Share the love is what I'm saying. Because in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Or so I've heard. That's good. Did you write that? I, you know what? It just it, it somehow it was in my head. And uh, yeah, I just thought I had to get that out on paper. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's a long and winding road from where you started to, uh, to hear <laughs> it now, I suppose. Uh, so let's work chronologically. Last week, last Thursday night, we were in Sansar. Uh, we had talked about the fact that we were going to be doing a trivia night uh, back on the bridge of the enterprise. We did the trivia night on the bridge of the enterprise. Tremendous amount of fun. As John said, David uh, sort of, sort of cleaned up in the trivia thing. And uh, we were talking to the people at Sensar today and, and, and we all had such a great time that we're going to be bringing trivia back. It's probably going to be towards the end of August. I think is when we decided the next time that we do that will be, but we have other events coming up, which we'll tell you about in a moment. Uh, the next thing on our calendar, aside from the regular, regular show stuff, is we are going down to San Diego Comic-Con, uh, the belly of the beast, if you will. I've never, um, I've never been, John. Oh, man, just get, get ready for a carnival of confusion. That's, <laughs> that's what you're in for. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Well, there are a couple of other things that we're in for as well. Uh, we're going to be part of two panels. Uh, one, we're going to be a very small part of, uh, sort of a small part of a bigger panel, and then a bigger part of a smaller panel. Uh, the Roddenberry panel is going to be at 1.30 in the convention center, uh, room 24 ABC. That is on Thursday the 19th. So when Roddenberry uh, gets up there, and announces all their big stuff, they'll say, oh, and these guys. And then we have a couple of things that we're going to talk about there. So if you're going to be at the Roddenberry panel, look for us. And if you hadn't decided whether you're going to be at the Roddenberry panel, 
we're going to be there. So, you know, uh, look for us. That is at one thirty on Thursday at the Convention Center, room 24A, B, and C. Then on Friday the 20th, this would be the bigger part of the smaller panel. John, would you like to take this one? Yeah, so we decided to do something kind of topical and provocative for our Friday panel. Uh, that is hosted by Larry Nemechek. You know him, Dr. Trek, our friend and yours. The topic is Star Trek, a fandom divided, question mark? Sort of about uh, fandom and, and the last 50 years of fandom, where we are now with, um, oh, uh, uh, people discussing discovery, uh, uh, maybe some of the toxicity that we're experiencing on the internet. Let's just kind of dig deep into how Star Trek fans express their fandom now. So that'll be at the Neil Morgan Auditorium at the San Diego Central Library at 5 p.m. That is just a short 10-minute walk from the convention center. It's not a big deal. You need to get out of the convention center at some point. So come over there and join us. That is sure to be a spirited discussion. Ken, as I mentioned to you, you can hit at least three bars between the convention center and the library. That will make the walk a tiny bit longer than 10 minutes. Yeah, it depends if how, how motivated you are. Yeah. Seriously, though, here's the thing. I, if it's anything like any other convention I've ever been to, you're going to stand in line for 15 minutes for a soda. So yeah, 10 minutes to walk down the street and air-conditioned comfort where hopefully you're going to have to jostle. Hopefully you will. I'll be honest. I was going to say someplace we'll be able to spread out. No, hopefully there are going to be so many people there for Star Trek a fandom divided, maybe half of them on one side of the room, half of them on the other. Who can say? <laughs> It'd be fantastic <laughs> if people took the 10-minute walk down the street and then come see that. So that is 5 p.m. on Friday the 20th at the Neil Morgan Auditorium at the San Diego Central Library. A short, a brisk, a quick 10 minutes away from the convention center. And then we come back uh, to our respective places. We unpack and then we realize, well, that was stupid because we're going to have to pack again <laughs> because about a week and a half later, we're going to Vegas. Yeah. 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 Sorry. TLV the very next week. And uh, we will see you all there for an entire week. By the way, I, I had to point out here, uh, David, who actually lives in San Diego, says, uh, A, it's not that bad. And B, really, you're talking about seven bars between the convention center and the library. So uh, that that's pretty cool. And uh, welcome here to Jeff, who says, nice, I've never caught a live show. So uh, welcome for a first time live show viewer. Uh, and then, Ken, we do STLV. We've got panels there. We'll be at the Roddenberry table the whole time and yes. uh, be at the masquerade the whole time that we are not at the table the whole time. Uh, so definitely. Not, com to, huh? not completely true, but but yeah, you might as well <laughs> say that that is the case. Here's the thing. So we yeah. this year are going to be at the great big Roddenberry booth in sort of the uh, close to the middle of the vendor hall. And what's really great is this year we're going to be joined by the other shows from the Roddenberry Podcast Network as well. So instead of saying, you know, no, we're going to go over there and see these people and then go over there and see these people, uh, we're actually going to have uh, Priority One, One Minute Warp, The Trek Files. Uh, I'm missing somebody. Oh, Mission Log. Mm -hmm. And Mission like Log guys. Live. Yeah, they're not bad. Ken and Ray really do some fantastic uh, oh, oh, The uh, other people that are going to be there and here, I'm going to bring it full circle. Sansar, we have a neat yes. thing that we're going to be talking about at Comic-Con that we're going to be talking about more at STLV. Um, Sansar is actually going to have a setup, not at the Roddenberry table, but in another room. And it's even closer than that library is from the convention center. Um, so, so really excited about that. Not going to do the trivia night thing there with them, but there's going to be tons of other stuff for you to check out from them. And they're going to have demo stations. So this isn't one of those things like, wow, if you had VR, then you could see it. No, if you're at STLV, you're going to get to explore some pretty cool stuff and more on that in the next week or so. Hey, before we bring in our guests, let's talk about the poll. We'll talk about last week's poll and this week's poll. Ken, uh, last week, well, uh, let's talk about that. Harlan Ellison mm -hmm. had recently passed away, and uh, we posed a question that I think maybe some people took uh, uh, seriously, but we were doing it in good fun. What was that question, Ken? Uh, the question was, um, in tribute to Harlan Ellison, City on the Edge of Forever, best Star Trek episode ever or greatest Star Trek episode ever? <laughs> uh, you talk about a fandom divided, 49.5% uh, say it was the best, 50.5% say it was the greatest. 
And that's, I, I said before that 49 and 51 were as close to split as you could get without being actually split. I was mistaken. Yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it was a goofy question at the same time. It was a question meant to, to, uh, to honor his passing. And so thanks to everybody who played last week, uh, this week, Oh, I seriously talk about a fandom divided. Uh, what, what do we have? Uh, what do we have in the offing this week, Mr. Champion? Well, in honor of our topic tonight, because we'll be welcoming a philosopher to join us. We asked you, who's your philosopher, Kirk or Picard? Man, oh, man. 15% of you say Kirk. 85% of you say Picard. I get it. I, I think I would have to lean toward Picard myself. But uh, there might be some some different nuances to this question, right? Well, I mean, sure. Yes. I mean, what's interesting is there are some people, because if you ask who's your captain, you're going to get a much closer split, I think. Um, There might be people that you would be willing to follow into battle. There might be people that you'd be willing to follow in an emergency, say. Uh, But then, you know, all that downtime between stars, uh, you might want to, you know, think about things a bit differently than, than, say, Captain Kirk would. So that's sort of the nuance of the question. Who's your philosopher, uh, Kirk or Picard? Uh, please do chime in uh, on the poll, which is right there on the page that you're watching currently. If you're watching currently, which you have to be unless you're listening. <laughs> All right, friends. And I see some people joining us uh, uh, just for the second time. Debbie, hi to you. Uh, Dan Davidson, our friend from Trek Geeks is there. So I expect a lot of great interaction tonight when we bring on our guest. Right before we bring on our guest, though, big fat disclaimer. There's something that Ken and I talked about we felt like we needed to express before we welcome uh, David Kyle Johnson. Let's go way back to nearly the beginning of Mission Log. We're talking about January 2013, episode 24, uh, The Bane of Ken's Existence. Some of you might also know it as a Star Trek episode called This Side of Paradise. Now, when that show came out, it was one of our first deep dives into existential philosophical concepts, and it generated, to this day, more responses from more listeners than anything else we've done. One of those replies was from David Kyle Johnson, but he didn't just want to pick nits. Nope, he ended up writing an article for a book, The Ultimate Star Trek and Philosophy, and he referenced us in it. Way cool. So fast forward a few more years. Kyle stayed in touch with us, dropping a line here and there about Hyde and Q and other challenging episodes, and then something else cool happened. A far-ranging course of his on science fiction and philosophy, got picked up by The Great Courses Plus. Now, The Great Courses Plus is sponsoring Mission Log for the next few months. That's not why Kyle's here. Kyle's here because he's been in touch with us for years talking about the kinds of things that we talk about each week. We wanted to let all of you know how all of this came together. We're happy to have them as a sponsor on our other show. In addition, we're very happy to have Kyle as a guest on this evening. Dr. David Kyle Johnson is an associate professor of philosophy at King's College in Pennsylvania. His career in academia has a strong focus on pop culture, definitely science fiction and Star Trek, but also shows like South Park and The Daily Show. In addition, he wrote the book, The Myths That Stole Christmas. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I, can't, I can't tell you what a thrill it is to, to finally be on the air with you guys. I've, I've been following you ever since about the time my son was born. About five years ago, I picked up the show. I think uh, A Piece of the Action maybe was my first episode, and I backed up and, and caught up. I've um, been listening to you ever since. It's very strange to finally put faces with, name, faces with voices at the same time, and, <laughs> uh, but I'm thrilled to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun. We, uh, we, we hear that a lot. <laughs> that it's very strange to put faces with voices. So, yeah, uh, th- this feels like it has been a long time coming. And uh, by the way, somebody just asked, uh, is the book in audio media, either uh, the ultimate Star Trek and philosophy or the myth that stole Christmas? Do we know? Uh, I do not know that the myth that stole Christmas is not. I'm very sorry about that, although I would like that to happen one day and I would like to be the narrator. Um 
Star Trek might be. Some of the pop culture books are. I have another book on Inception, the movie Inception, called Inception and Philosophy, because it's never just a dream. Uh, and I know that that one is in audio. So there's a decent chance the Star Trek one might be on audio, but you could just take a look on Amazon and see. Cool. Cool. Or, or hey, come down. One of us will read it to you. Ken, you this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got, I got time. Why not? Yeah, sure. sure. And, yeah. you know, you can help me with the big words and it'll be great. Yeah, you got it. Uh, so, so let's start back at the beginning. I'm not the very beginning, but let's start back, you know, somewhere nearer the beginning for you, Kyle. Um, which came first for you, philosophy nerdiness or science fiction and pop culture nerdiness? Well, um, Officially, it would probably have to be sci-fi nerdiness. However, one of the one of the things I try to one of the points I try to make in the course is that there is a deep and direct connection uh, between the two, um, and that philosophers have been essentially doing what you know would likely count as science fiction almost since the inception of philosophy. Uh, if you, I mean, you could go back uh, as far as Plato and uh, and find a bunch of examples throughout throughout history of. Um, philosophers doing science fiction, uh, but they're also related in this way. Um, and this is a story I relate in the course as well. Oh, my first foray really into to sci-fi and certainly into Star Trek was Spectre of a Gun. Uh, I remember right where I was when I saw my first episode. And it had, as you know, right, it has Spock um, able to understand the way that reality really is, despite the way that it appears by pure logic and reason, right? And no one else can do it but Spock. And from that first viewing, I kind of said to myself, that's the way I want to be. I want to be logical. I want to be able to understand the world. I want to be able to not be fooled by the way things seem, but actually understand the way that they are. Uh, and that is a guiding principle that funnels through all of my philosophy to this day. And I keep a little buff to Spock on my desk uh, to remind me of that lesson um, all the time. So I was going to ask then how it is you came to track, but you're actually saying that it was track that brought you to philosophy in a way. In a, in a, in a way. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I guess I was always a philosopher. I didn't even, I guess I didn't understand early on exactly what philosophy was, but I was always kind of doing it uh, in a certain kind of way. Um, so, but it, in, it inspired me to do philosophy before I even knew what philosophy was. Uh, but philosophy definitely like officially philosophy came after, cause I didn't come until, you know, college. So, John, I know we've both been actually listening to um, to some of uh, some of Kyle's lectures. Uh, there were there were a few that leaped out at you. Yes, uh, more than a few. And uh, Ken, well, uh, Kyle, you'd be glad to know that Ken and I have been having this conversation a few times over the last week that, you know, we'll be driving somewhere or just listening to one of your lectures. And then five minutes in, there's some mind blowing idea that totally rings true with something that we've talked about on the show. And then you just got to stop for a minute, digest all of that. And you come back and there's another mind blowing concept, but there were specific things in your course because you hit a lot of different science fiction uh, movies and specific TV episodes. I love that you reference uh, Rick and Morty. <laughs> so in addition to kind of the obvious things like the matrix and, and talking about certain key star Trek episodes, um, I really enjoyed Prime Directive and Post-Colonialism. Oh, let's talk about the Apple and, uh, <laughs> and the mistakes, probably, that James Kirk made in that episode. But what I really enjoyed was contrasting that, as you did, with the big change when we meet Picard and the uh, post-colonialism evidenced by episodes like Justice and Half a Life. And you get to talk about coral, uh, cultural moral relativism. I, I, I thought that that was a, a, a fantastic episode of your lecture. A again, all condensed down to about a half an hour where you really lay bare some of the mistakes, some of the compare and contrasts, and the, the difference maybe in a 1960s approach mm -hmm. to these ideas versus a 1980s uh, approach. It, it, it didn't really occur to me that cultural context that we didn't start having that conversation in a profound way until probably the 60s, asking ourselves if that kind of imposing a, a, of a cultural norm on another culture was a, a valid or just thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So that lecture is actually inspired by the chapter I wrote for Star Trek uh, in philosophy, where I defended 
Ken's position on, uh, you know, kind of anti-Kirk and Kirk is a jerk um, <laughs> in regards to, you know, always ruining everybody's utopia, right? And, and yeah, and so um, I dug into post-colonialist uh, thought a little bit for that lecture and kind of realized that there was this, like, the 60s Trek kind of comes before the real kind of big heavy lifting in post-colonialism even exists, right? And it, it's, it doesn't seem to be a coincidence that after all that post-colonial work is done, you get a new Star Trek that takes a kind of completely uh, different approach and takes the prime directive a lot more seriously. Um, and it really is astounding that it wasn't until the 60s that, uh, and then into the 70s and 80s, that we really started kind of saying to ourselves culturally, oh, maybe we didn't actually do, like the Europeans didn't actually do the native cultures that they colonized a favor uh, by coming in and, and colonizing them. There was a, a lot of suffering and a lot of damage and that kind of stuff that was done uh, to them. I think before that, you know, their manifest destiny and, and there was just kind of this general sense that, you know, it wasn't that bad. We did them good. We brought them culture. We enlightened them. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, after the sixties that we started to kind of re really reconcile and recognize the harm that Europeans had done. I, I have to say that, you know, that article and then listening to your lecture ha have helped change my mind a bit. I, I, I haven't listened to our episode in, well, since 2013. <laughs> and I, I have to say that you've helped sort of change my mind, though. I know that uh, I was taking up a bit more of a contrary position to uh, Ken's point. We had guests on our supplemental show afterward who really took up a contrary position. Uh, but I always respected where Ken was coming from with that. One of the things that really hit home with me, because uh, I, I had learned this term in other places, you talked about uh, in your article, part of the problem with this side of paradise is relying on the natural fallacy. Uh, mm. that, that's sort of what's going on here. Um, and that's something that, that I liken to, uh, uh, particularly today, you, you, you hear people talk about health benefits of certain foods or medicines and relying on this natural fallacy. Well, it's natural, it must be good. If it's artificial, it must be bad. And you have some interesting parallels talking about that in this side of paradise and just sort of the general concept of happiness. Um, and I thought that was what was most intriguing about Ken's argument. Uh, when we reviewed that show was, was simply the idea of happiness feeling that you are happy means happiness. It's not a, a, an outside thing that, that can be achieved and, and packaged. It is simply the feeling that you are happy. That is what equates happiness. Yeah, so the fallacy is is uh, called the appeal to nature fallacy, uh, and it does this uh, has this general idea that if it's natural, it's good; if it's unnatural, it's bad. And then that is obviously fallacious because there's lots of natural things uh, that are actually bad, like hemlock. Uh, and then there are lots of unnatural things that are really good, like glasses. Right? Um, there's tons of examples of 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 you know good and bad things on on both sides. Uh, and one of the arguments I remember uh, uh, that people you know lobbed at kin for that argument uh, for that for that episode was that well this happiness that they have uh is unnatural um it's just a result of chemicals you know releasing their brain and one of the things to say is uh, yeah that's what all happiness is is a result of chemicals in your brain uh you know produced in some way or another uh but secondly the fact that it's even if it's unnaturally produced that doesn't make it any less happy um to say that that would make them ungenuinely happy would be to you'd have to have a problem with people taking antidepressants and saying that they weren't really happy because it's their antidepressants that are you know making them uh, that are you know making them happy or helping make make them happy right so uh, yeah I, I don't think that there's you know now there is an important distinction to make which I do make in the article is that like you can't be mistaken about whether you're happy if you're happy then you're if you're happy and you know it you, if you're happy then you know it right. Um, <laughs> Right. Uh, uh, because happiness is a state of mind. And so it doesn't seem to be you can mistaken about that. Uh, philosophers do make a distinction between happiness and eudaimonia or flourishing. Um, what what the ancient philosophers often call eudaimonia, which we kind of translate as like kind of like the best kind of life, a flourishing life, which may or may not include, well, it won't include always being happy, but uh, to achieve eudaimonia is to, you know, live the best kind of life. And you can be mistaken about that. You can think that you're living the best kind of life uh, when you're not. For example, if, you know, you're stuck in the matrix or something like that, right? Like you might be thinking you're living the best kind of life, but you're being fooled. And so it's not the best kind of life from an objective standpoint. 
you pity you would pity yourself for being stuck in the matrix or something like that. But anyway, by the way, I have to point out that uh, Carlos quick on the uptake. He uh, texted clap your hands. Uh, as soon as you said, yes, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, the same thought. So I, I didn't want to interrupt, but yeah, I was, I was like, well, if you're happy and you know what, there's really only one thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> we do that thing. Um, I, so I find myself uh, split here. I want to go a couple of different directions. Maybe if anybody can remind me later, maybe we can go back to post-colonialism because I have another uh, question about that. But I, I, there's another thing that I want to get to. Okay. Which actually ties in, I mean, all of this ties in, you know, with each other in a way. Uh, is Ithic a trap, you know, in the words of Admiral Akbar, I suppose? I mean, like, I, I was listening to one of the lectures that you had earlier. Um, we all agree that there are some things that are just bad. I mean, they just are. It's not a cultural relativism, relativism thing. It's just some things are bad. So I'm going to make up a situation. I made it up earlier. Uh, let's say a society arises that thinks cutting off the head of the firstborn brings prosperity to the family. Okay. So that's their belief. A lot of people would say a strict adherence, adherence to Idic requires that we accept that belief from them or for them rather. It's not like we all then go away going, Oh, well, I guess that's what we're all doing now. But if you come across somebody who, I mean, this is what they believe and they know that's right for them, but it seems like you can say categorically that that is actually a wrong thing to do. I mean, first of all, do we have to accept that because of the idea of ethic? And then who gets to draw that line if your answer is no, which I kind of think it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, there, who, who gets to draw the line is a very hard question. Uh, you know, some people would say that God gets to draw the line. Um, but of course, if we don't have that in our, in our ontology or our metaphysics, then we have, you know, uh, other problems. And then that's the band, that's divine command theory. And there's a whole other, there's a whole other debate that we could have about divine command theory, uh, in, in that regard, which I've got a lecture on in another course if you're interested. But, um, so let me answer your question this way. One of the things that I try to defend specifically in that lecture on, the prime directive in post-colonialism uh, is that moral cultural relativism is false. Um, that there are, you know, if you're going to, at least if you're going to believe in ethic, ethical norms at all, you've got to believe that there are some that are objective. Um, either you're a nihilist and don't think there's any morality at all, or there's objective morality. The in-between of saying that, you know, what's right for them is right for them, but not for me is, is just doesn't work. Um, and it's not something that even post-colonialists, like sometimes post-colonialists will want to be moral cultural relativists, but they end up not being able to because they want to say that it's categorically objectively bad that Europeans impose their culture onto native populations and that kind of stuff. That's an, obje an objective, you know, moral, uh, uh, objective moral standard that they're applying to that, right? And so now sometimes w w what a better kind of defense, so let me, let, me, let me back up a step. So trying to defend the prime directive with moral cultural relativism, I don't think works because moral cultural relativism is false. A better way to defend it is an, kind of an epistemic moral humility. Um, you can believe that there are objective moral facts, but be a little humble about your ability to really know right from wrong in all situations, right? Um, that said, when you have a situation like the one you're describing where you have a cultural practice of cutting off the heads of firstborn because they believe it believes it brings prosperity. Um, I think that's a place where you can come in and objectively say, Nope, uh, that's wrong. That is, you know, that is objectively wrong. I would be justified in uh, stopping that. Um, especially if it occurs in a culture that's close to yours. So one of the things that one of the other kind of points I try to make in, um, in the lecture on, on the prime directive is that you're like the, the epistemic moral humility makes sense. And it makes more and more sense the further away the culture you're evaluating is from you. Now on earth, you can find some cultures that are pretty far away from you, but you're, you at least all share the same biology and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, one of the one of the episodes I, I used is called Cogenitor from Enterprise. You guys are a few years from getting to Enterprise, um, but uh, where the where the uh, the Visians have three sexes, right? They have the male, the female, and the cogenitor. And Trip takes it upon himself to um, educate a cogenitor on reading and writing and showing that they can be more than just a womb, essentially, for this couple. And it turns out that. 
cogenitors are necessary for reproduction, that if cogenitors had rights in their society, um, they would uh, not, that the Vissians would not be able to reproduce, right? So there's all these things that Trip is unaware of that are relevant to whether or not the cogenitor should actually have rights or not. So back to your situation where you have, you know, people who are cutting off the heads of firstborns, it would be very unlikely that their belief that this somehow brings prosperity to the entire village would be sound at all, right? This sounds completely like superstition. And I would say, if you know it's superstition, then you would be completely justified in kirking it, right? Like, come in, stop, <laughs> stop, stop the practice, correct them, get rid of it. You'd be perfectly morally justified in doing that. But if it really is, I mean, if we're really talking like an alien civilization kind of a thing, you'd want to double check and make sure that there isn't some kind of thing that's actually being accomplished by this. Um, right. Um, it's very doubtful that there would be, but you might want to check and make sure. Yeah. I guess what I'm wondering though, I mean, there are two things really quickly. And I know we have, uh, we have a little bit of business we have to do in a moment. First of all, kirking it may be my favorite verb <laughs> ever. Yeah, that's, I can't that, that's going in, in the nearly, In nearly yeah. six years of doing the show that we never, yeah, he just came in and kirked that whole thing up. If you ask yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, the other question though, that, I, that I do wonder about is, I'm, I mean, I'm wondering about Idic specifically, and it's not, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to ask it. it. It seems like a lot of times people will say something terrible, and then they'll say, "Oh, I thought you were a Star Trek fan." Idic means you have to accept what I'm saying. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But then, okay, so let's say, okay, we're going to leave off the beliefs then, and we're just going to go with, well, we celebrate the the, the physical diversity. Let's say. At that point, you're just talking about cultural appropriation, it seems, which I, I, I'm given to understand is a bad thing. And I don't know how to ask the question I'm asking. Maybe yeah. we can give you a moment to think about Idic so that we can really quickly do the other thing that we do at this time in the show and then, um, and then, and then come back and get your Idic answer. Oh, I well, know the thing, Ken. I know the thing. We're going to crook it up right now. <laughs> I, I feel like I just, I feel like I just, I just kirked his argument, honestly. Yeah, we, we each use that 10 times and then that term becomes ours. Hang on one second, if you would, Kyle, because um, we do want to really quickly at the bottom of the hour, do the whole thing that we do about, about shopping and stuff. Sure. Um, you said, uh, the, uh, John, you said that Jay is, is in the room tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Tracy yeah. Coco joining us as she does on a Tuesday night. Always glad to yeah. see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still looking forward to seeing a lot of Star Trek shirts, but I want to go ahead because I've been teasing this idea. I was like, oh, you know, it'd be great if we all got together with her at STLV. Uh, we're not going to be able to do that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I just want to let people know that now because uh, I, I got way ahead of myself and said, that'll be awesome. And what I should have said was nothing. Um, but <laughs> here's the thing. It'll be like she's no, it won't be anything like she's there because there's nothing like having her there. But uh, we have a bunch of really cool stuff that we would like for you to go to our shop and check out. Yes, yes, we do. So if you go to missionlogpodcast.com and click on shop, you will see the amazing designs that our friend Carl is cranking out for us. You'll find things like Isolinear John and Ken. You'll find Carbon Chauvinism, the Da Vinci edition. Uh, you'll find our favorite lieutenant, Jay, as we were just mentioning. There's Bonk Bonk on the Head since 1966 is the tribute to the late great Nova Squadron, Ditalix Mining Corporation. Of course, you'll find Cool as Kirk and Ethos Pathos logos. We, we slip in some new designs every now and then. By the way, uh, somebody in the chat just said that we need the uh, Kirking It One Planet at a Time tapestry. So, um, I think that's probably pretty nice. Actually, we should do that as a look like a cross stitch, but then let people order it as a tapestry. Yeah. I like that idea. That's good. That would be really cool. Yeah. So the place to find all of that and so much more is missionlogpodcast.com. Then you click shop up at the top of the screen and you'll find all that stuff that John was just talking about on, on shirts, on stickers, on mugs. And as he did mention on tapestries as well, Uh, just click shop at missionlogpodcast.com and, uh, and, and, and shop to your heart's content. If you have a question that you'd like to ask Kyle, we would love it if you got your question in. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call. 646-558-8656. Or you can click the uh, Zoom link or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. And away we go. When last we left our guest. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a better answer to your edit question, I think. Okay. 
say, and I, cause I think I gave you kind of a rambling answer there before uh, put it simply this way. Um, Idic is a nice sentiment. Um, but taken to its extreme, I think it goes too far because in it is in in its extreme, it is cultural moral relativism, um, and it accepts anything and everything from anyone, you know, in any culture or whatever, in any practice, and that that's too far. Um, you know, qualify by saying, you know, I think that people go way too far in the other direction and think that they they know that their culture and their practices are definitely right and everyone else's is wrong and they're not justified in doing that. But going all the way in the other direction and just accepting everything goes too far. So as a nice sentiment, infinite diversity, infinite combinations, beautiful sentiment, usually right, but it can be taken too far. And people who use it as an endorsement of moral culture relativism, I would say, are going too far. Well, I mean, some philosophies automatically are at odds with each other. They automatically attempt to cancel each other out. Um, and I, I remember, I can't remember exactly where I read it, but it was something that stuck with me that I really liked, is that Idic does not tolerate intolerance. And I thought that was a, a nice way to think about it, that something that is intolerant does not fit the philosophy of Idic. It doesn't fit a philosophy of tolerance. So there is automatically some weeding out. Um, you know, when you started talking about this, uh, this question about Idic and about uh, moral relativism, I thought of Sam Harris, who uh, somebody whose books and, and whose podcasts I really appreciate, uh, because he starts from a position of saying that there are moral truths that can be arrived at logically. They don't need to be uh, uh, arrived at through revelation or, or through some uh, supernatural experience. So we can actually start from a position of logic and scientific understanding of the natural world to arrive at moral conclusions. And I think that's something that's interesting to see in Star Trek, uh, particularly when you have a character like Spock, who, who can rattle off something like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And he, he's making a, uh, a, a moral decision based on logic. Now, we would always argue that Spock's got a little bit of uh, emotion hiding there as well that might lead him to his specific actions. Uh, but I always... Uh, I always appreciated that about uh, how Star Trek deals with moral issues. Um, I want to talk about uh, another super easy, non-hot-button topic uh, that you cover in your, uh, in your lecture series and in some of your writing. I love the discussion about religion versus science. <laughs> Is this an easy 30-second uh, answer? We're done. Um, and that actually tied in very nicely to the discussion of the value of knowledge as you discussed with the matrix. Um, and, and it's something that comes up from time to time in mission log for sure. Um, but I wanted to phrase this uh, in a way that's a question about how we approach Star Trek. Uh, we meaning the three of us here, but, but fans everywhere. Are, are we applying our own beliefs or non-beliefs to analyzing Star Trek or, or is Star Trek actually making a statement about man's relationship to religion in the future. And I, and I asked that, and I kind of know that, that there's no specific right or wrong answer to that. It's a little bit of both. But we might get one or two questions about that from time to time from our listeners. Um, and there's a lot of ways to discuss that. Yeah, so I guess the question is whether or not, like, I think Star Trek is definitely making a statement about religion and our relationship to religion, but I think it's a different statement depending on what series you're in. Hmm. Right. Um, so, um, you know, and it, and it maybe even depends on episode to episode and who's in control, right? Like I remember specifically uh, in bread and circuses, right. There's that, the line about the son of God and that kind of stuff that Roddenberry wasn't very happy about that it had got included. Right. And that, that episode makes a particular statement about religion that other, you know, episodes don't, uh, that don't make right. They make a, they make a different statement. Then I think TNG is making a different statement about religion. It's a very agnostic slash atheist uh, uh, show. It makes that makes those kinds of statements. Whereas when you get to you know DS nine, you've got you know the Bajoran religion and the prophets, and you, you've you've got that kind of conflict there. And I and I think that it it takes a little bit different stance on religion than TNG did. So maybe I'm not answering your question. Is that along the lines of 
Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that's a good way to look at it for one thing. You know, we, we were told kind of going into DS9 that, uh, okay, well, this is a series that really deals a lot with, uh, uh, with religion and spirituality in this 24th century context uh, of Star Trek. And TNG was very much its own thing. And as somebody points out here in the chat, uh, they say you guys are three DS9 episodes away from a great religion versus science episode. Um, I've watched that. Ken's watched that. I don't want to spoil anything about uh, what might be in our upcoming conversation about that, uh, other than to say that it, it certainly ties into some of the, uh, the the conversation we're having tonight. We have a couple of people waiting on the phone who would like to chat with, uh, well, I'm assuming at least one of the three of us. So let's jump over to David, who is patiently waiting. David, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. David. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks. I'm a long-time listener. Never called in before or even caught the live show while I was live, so happy oh, to be I'm, here. Well, welcome. Yeah. Do you have a question tonight for our guest or a question for yeah, us? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, uh, well, um, first of all, I think if you're happy and you know it, uh, that's bad, and you should get a friend to kick you in the shins to make you mad and drive <laughs> the alien sports from your body. Uh, <laughs> Love it. But I'm wondering... Um, if it bothers you that um, as our people go out into space on these, uh, on these Star Trek shows and they, and they meet all these alien cultures and there's so many because in Star Trek's um, reality, the universe is as densely populated as like Queens. Um, <laughs> there's a, they almost never run into a situation where our human philosophy is just completely wrong. And the aliens have it right. I can think of, one episode and I'm 40 years old. I'm watching Star Trek my whole life. And I can think of maybe one episode where that happens. Uh, Usually either we're right. Uh, that would be, um, errand of mercy. Oh. Where the Organians basically just school, you know, the Federation and the Klingons and, you know, they're, they are, you know, you know, they're, they are, they are way above us and they make us look like, you know, just little kids. But usually that doesn't happen. Usually either we're right or the aliens are wrong or really nobody's quite right. Mm -hmm. So what do you we're, think about we're, that? We're, we're right enough that we kind of talk our way out of it and live to see another day and carry on yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. Yeah. And, and in Errand of Mercy, I still wonder, though, if it was just that the Organians had enough power that they could afford that position. Sure, sure. You know, right. yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I think for what it's worth, I think it's exactly right. I think I think Star Trek could be a more interesting show if that happened more often. Uh, and the humans, the Federation, you know, turns out to be the one that's in the wrong in regards to uh, in regards to morality uh, or in regards to a cultural practice or something like that. Uh, when I talk about cultural moral relativism, whether it be in the class or in my classroom or whatever, I always try to point to things in our own culture that you could definitely argue are morally wrong and we don't see it because we're immersed in the culture, but um, everything from the idea of something, something simple uh, but controversial like male circumcision. I think you can make an argument that that's immoral um, to the concept of democracy itself. There's decent arguments that that, that, that can be dangerous um, to uh, even the idea of freedom as a value. You could argue against those, right? Uh, I'm not saying necessarily those are bad, but you can take a step back and, see a decent argument uh, against uh, some of these things sometimes and second guess your own convictions about what you are so sure is right. And a Star Trek would be a lot more interesting if it did that a little bit more often than it actually does. Would we actually be able to go out in the stars though? I mean, if, if we were constantly second guessing whether or not we should, I mean, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a justification, but I mean, think about the way, think about how we, we treated the frontier. I think you said earlier, either you said earlier or in one of the lectures recently that I listened to that talked about the idea of manifest destiny. It takes a certain amount of, a certain type of stone, I would say, to go, you know what that hill needs is me. Right? <laughs> and and not, not even question whether or not you do belong there. I mean, that's, and, and you, I mean, with TOS, there didn't really seem to be a question of whether or not we should go to the stars. Of course, we're going to the stars. Uh, Joe Tormolan say, questioned it. Say again? Uh, Joe Tormolan questioned it in uh, 
But, um, and uh, the naked time. <laughs> right. Well, he was a little. Has himself with a butter knife. Yeah, he was a little touched at that point, if memory serves. But I mean, I, like, I wonder. Let's say you're as evolved as Picard was, and we're just starting to go out at the time that Archer was. Would Picard have been the guy to go out there? Can Picard only be in the stars a hundred years after Kirk was out there kirking it up all over the place? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question, right? Like, so let me clarify. What what I meant was that we would question. It, Star Trek could be more interesting, not if we are more often questioning the right of us to be out there and exploring, but more often when we come in contact with a culture, the culture corrects some moral norm of ours rather than the other mm. way around. We correct mm-hmm. theirs, right? It mm-hmm. would be hard to have a Star Trek show where they're constantly asking, yeah, should we really be out here? Um, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> right? Although... That'd, that'd be it, awesome. <laughs> um, Star Trek dry dock. Would be much <laughs> but not to say that it could make a, you know, some, a decent couple of episodes to really think about maybe we really shouldn't be out here because of the trouble we're causing. We've caused a war. We're, you know, somebody, somebody in the lower echelons, right? Like you guys are always, you know, just peeling the potatoes or whatever on, yeah, the, on, yeah. on the original star, on the original, you know, 1701. That's and they're seeing, they're seeing Kirk, Kirk it up everywhere. And they're yeah. sitting there peeling the potatoes going, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be out here because Kirk keeps wrecking everyone's utopias and uh, maybe we should head back home. Right. Like, I could see that as a, at least a decent point of view. Maybe not a very interesting episode, but a decent point of view. By the way, uh, little known fact, Star Trek Dry Dock was the working title of Star Trek Motion Picture. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, yeah, uh, if, if this was the first time for you to catch the live or the second time for you to catch the live and first time to call in, please, please uh, do it again. We'd love to hear from you. Thank oh, you. Thank- all right. And then we have another caller standing by. We have Craig. Hi, can you hear me? We sure can. Oh, great. Uh, I'm a big uh, fan of the show. I've been listening since 2014. Yeah. So, anyway. Wow. Um, as long as I've been listening. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I'll just get straight into the question. Uh, so, they talk about the concept of having a cashless society in TNG. So, like, no one earns any money, right? So, mm. Uh, I mean, the thing I have trouble with is, is uh, it's never really kind of an idea I think would work because you look at communism and as far as like, that's probably the closest thing they ever had because people uh, kind of averaged out their salaries in Russia, right, back in the day. So, I mean, I'm just wondering, like, I know it's a nice idea to have you no know, cash, but is greed just kind of inevitable in the end? Mm. Let's kick that over to our resident philosopher. Kyle. Actually, can I, can I give us <laughs> oh, yeah, my yeah. answer? If you say so. I mean, that's really, it feels to me, I mean, it, it's, and please correct me, Kyle, because I'm sure I'm wrong. But I mean, if, 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 the, if the premise is always, well, that would never work, right? Well, then it's never going to work, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could always, uh, you could, it's hard to ever say never, right? Like um, if, until you really, really try it, uh, maybe maybe it could possibly work, right? Uh, or it's like predicting the future. We're really bad at it. There's a million variables that we can't predict. Um, we would think it never worked, but it might actually work out fine. Um, my reservation would be that whether it's cash or not, there's probably always got to be, uh, maybe I shouldn't say probably, maybe there's always got to be some way to keep track of what people are owed or do or something like that. Um, but maybe not. Maybe it really would be possible to live in a cashless society, uh, especially if, I mean, the kind of thing that would seem to make it possible is the technology that you see uh, in Star Trek where no one wants for anything, right? There's no more need to have to fret about your uh, existence or your livelihood, uh, whether you're going to eat or drink or whether you have shelter, because all of that stuff is just so easily attainable. Uh, and if you really did have that kind of technology, I can at least imagine a scenario where you could have a, a cashless society. Um, but, uh, you mean, I'm talking about like uh, if you're, because you have ambition, right? Um, I'm wondering if it's sort of, because uh, money seems to be quite a big motivator. And uh, I mean, self-improvement is, but uh, a lot of people, you know, in like you talk about like the 1% who have all the money, 
they they're really motivated to get things moving and going where i don't think it would be as much as in a society where there's no like opportunity to do that right so yeah i mean i'm not sure i'm not sure what to say i because i'm not a psychologist so i can't tell you how prevalent greed is and uh you know in the in the human psyche if it's a if something that's necessarily there um i know that some philosophers like uh jean-jacques rousseau uh would say something uh probably like this that greed is not um inherent in us but it's created by the existence of money uh and that um we only kind of seek these kinds of things out uh, and even like war and competition and, and that kind of stuff. So let me back up a second. So what Rousseau says is everyone else has this really negative view of what the state of nature is like. The state of nature is the state of humans without government. Right. And Hobbes said it was poor, nasty, brutish and short. And, and, uh, um, and uh, it was good. Yeah. So Hobbes says that. And um Locks, you know, has a little bit better view of it, but still thinks that you're constant, you know, in constant fear of losing your life, liberty, or property. Rousseau comes along and says, "No, actually, the sa- the, the the savage was noble, um, and it was the imposition of government and society that made us corrupt and warlike and want to kill each other and greed and get power over one another, et cetera, et cetera. If we could race everything and go back to the state of nature." There wouldn't be any of that anymore, um, and we would all get along, and it would be perfectly fine. Um, whether that's right or not, I don't know, um, but that is certainly what Rousseau would say. Uh, and so Rousseau, let's also say it this way, Rousseau might be a little bit more um, optimistic about the idea that greed is not universal, uh, and ultimately, I think you could make an argument from Rousseau that perhaps you could have a cashless society. Um, but that's about as much as I can say. Craig, I, I think what's interesting is that, uh, you know, from time to time, Ken and I will say, remember, Star Trek isn't real. The Enterprise isn't real. There is no Riker. There is no Picard. But if we try to pick up the, the morals, meanings, messages from what the show is trying to say, it, it is clearly trying to imagine this world, this, this universe where um, the acquisition of material wealth is not as much an emphasis as we place on that, certainly in the mid-20th century and in the early stages of the 21st century. Uh, you know, we grow up in a world that tells us, well, you have to go to the good school to get the good job, to make the good money, to have the life you want to have. Star Trek posits a different thing that says, well, what happens if we all start out with some equal level of opportunity, some equal level of uh, sustainability? So we have the basics, food, clothing, shelter. These things are covered. What then become our priorities? And it shows us from time to time that there are people who are greedy, who demand whether it's uh, physical possessions, wealth, power, what have you. But then very often those people have to be put into check, uh, even if it means data pulling a gun on Kiva Spajo and maybe, maybe almost killing him. Um, so there's no, maybe. there's no maybe he was going to he was going to he was going to do it. He was going to do it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's the interesting thought exercise that Star Trek gives us. Um, yeah, I mean, I really do like the concept. Like, I, um, I think it'd be great if we could get to that point where we don't we only self strive but uh i just see the frailty of humanity where people are uh, not doing anything un- unless they have an incentive you know what i mean like that's kind of the thing i mean i like the idea even back i'm from australia if you hadn't detected my accent but we have really <laughs> good uh, uh it's called a like a education scheme back home where you can borrow money from the government literally interest free and you can get yourself an education where I know in the States it's, it's almost like ridiculously expensive to get education. So, yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I love those concepts. I think it's great that we support that. Uh, and hopefully it'll come to the States eventually, but you know, yeah. Yeah, that would <laughs> it seems like, well, it seems, I mean, to me, forgive me. It seems like uh, it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> Greg, thank you very much. We uh, 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 call in again sometime. And yeah, Australia, you say? Okay. Well, I'm actually in Canada, believe it or not. I'm a citizen from Canada, so. But oh, wow, I, cool. I'm originally from Australia. I, I, 
went out and boldly went to Canada. So. <laughs> Very cool. I, I don't want to spoil it, but we may have a question about Canada coming up in a bit. Okay, sure. Go for yeah, it. So. <laughs> Thank you very much for calling in. Okay. Thanks. Uh, we, have, we, we have the lightning round coming up in just a moment. And uh, before we do that, though, I want to remind you about something that's going on after this show. Uh, kicking off in about seven minutes is Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Each week at 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. It's TV and movie news. It's gaming stuff. It's literary reviews and a whole lot more. Uh, they kick off, as I say, just about the minute that we end now. They're always aiming to go at 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific on Tuesday night. So what you do is nothing except go to their uh, Facebook page, and that is facebook.com slash priority one podcast. And uh, if you can't stay up that late or if you can't catch tonight, podcast.roddenberry.com. That's got all the Roddenberry Star Trek podcasts. Um, actually, all the Roddenberry podcasts, which I think are currently all Star Trek podcasts, but who knows what the future holds. Well, sorry, actually, Ken, I, did, I know what the immediate future holds. Go ahead, John. Uh, it, you know, I didn't hear a mention, and uh, Carlos in the chat was wondering, uh, no winters tonight? Uh, no winters th this evening. Um, okay. I okay. Winters is, uh, I like that. I know what he did with the H. Yeah. That's good. Uh -huh. Um, winters has been, uh, there and not there lately. So I okay. haven't been mentioning winters as much, okay. but, uh, I didn't want long, to leave Carlos hanging. So long may he wave. <laughs> I say. Uh, so, uh, Kyle, I, I hope you know about the lightning round. If you don't know about the lightning round, I hope you're familiar with the concept of a lightning round. I feel, I, I'm not sure if I've heard one of your lightning rounds before, but hit me. Okay. Yeah. yeah so I, I mean, it, I failed it, to mention it, that in the pre-interview, David. Yeah, uh, a, many apologies. Yeah. That's a, oh, that's a big. Do it. That's a big surprise there. Uh, so I mean, you, you're familiar with the concept. Of what we do is we throw things at you. You throw them right back at us just as soon as you can. Like I will start the lightning round by asking, "What is your favorite Star Trek series?" TNG. Your favorite Star Trek antagonist. Q. Oh, uh, favorite Star Trek movie. Hmm. Um, oh, first contact. Oh, interesting answer. Borg queen, yes or no? Um, nah, we don't need a Borg queen. Oh, and yet, <laughs> first contact was a favorite movie. Interesting, interesting answer. Okay, you're a man of many facets. Uh, yeah, Dom or Dabo? It's it's not the Borg queen that I like about uh, first contact. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Dom Jot. <laughs> nice. Uh, your favorite Star Trek starship? Enterprise J. Ooh. Wow. Uh, favorite episode? <sighs> favorite episode. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, boy. Um, best of both worlds, one and two. Nice. Now, favorite bad episode? Oh, uh, Spock's brain. Brain is brain. What is brain? <laughs> nice. Nice. And finally, the question we've all been waiting for. Have you ever been to Vulcan, Alberta, Canada? Oh, man. No. I almost, whenever I was recording my sci-fi show, I almost went to, was it Lancaster, Virginia, where the Church of Spock is? But I didn't. But never, wow. never Vulcan. No. I don't even know about the Church of Spock. Uh, yeah. Um, I mention it. In where do I mention it? I think I mentioned it in my big questions of philosophy course. Uh, it's, okay. a, it's a it's a lecture about religion and what counts as real religion, um, and uh, like that at least comes up. And there is a at least it, there was at one point uh, something called the Church of Spock. You can look some pictures up, and they have a big mural of Spock up and stuff. And and um, I'm not sure if it still exists or not. That's one of the things that kept me from going because I wasn't sure if I was going to show up and nothing was going to be there. But um, yeah. Very good. I actually and, wanted to just tell you about the Lord, not about the Vulcan Lord, which would be uh, <laughs> might be a bit of a disappointment depending on the length of your drive. <laughs> hey, as we wrap things up, by the way, uh, David asks in the chat, are you guys having a show next week on Tuesday? Yes, we have shows and we have guests lined up for the 17th and the 24th. We'll be off July 31st because guess what? We'll be in Vegas. And uh, so a lot of the people who are listening right now. So 31st, no show, but uh, you will be able to catch us at the masquerade that night. Um, if not at this precise time, then uh, shortly after. And then we'll be back theoretically on August 7th. 
And uh, you will be able to catch the regular mission log coming up this Thursday when we release Dramatis Personae. Kyle, thank you very much for being with us. And I would love to, uh, I'd love to ask you to come back again sometime. Oh, I'd love to. I never got to your, your question on post-colonialism, so. Oh, well then, then, because <laughs> people were hanging on for that. Actually, I think, I think you kind of did, really, but it's because it's all tied together. In the meantime, though, I do want to remind people, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. And be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, and more on the way. Thanks to everybody who joined us live or later, and we'll talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.